Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm grateful you decided to join me in this storytelling space today. My guest for this episode has a story no one would want to write for their life. From the outside, Kelly Haddock may look like she has it all as a singer, songwriter, wife, and mom. But Kelly knows what it means to live through the hardest of tragedies life has to offer. In a split second, Kelly's life was forever changed when a car hit her young family head on, including her new baby boy. In this episode, Kelly shares her story of becoming a young widow, living through tragedy, and finding hope and joy on the other side. Kelly also talks about her music that draws from real-life stories of beauty, heartache, hope, and the celebration of life. Kelly's story is a reminder that no matter what life brings, hope and love will have the last word. Listen in as Kelly shares her story. All right, Kelly, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you, Andrea. It's so good to have this time with you. Well, I am just beyond thrilled to get to talk to you today. We've kind of become, not kind of, we've become friends on Instagram. And it was several months ago uh, that I think we connected on there, which is so unusual, I think of, because I usually put a lot of like reading people's books or research into their stories before I ever reach out. And I had been following your posts and I'm like, gosh, she's so hope-filled and just such a bright spirit. And I'm like, I'm just going to reach out to her. I didn't know your story or anything. And so I sent you a text like, or a message like, hey, would you come on my podcast? And after I sent it, I'm like, oh, I probably should look at her story. And I was just, oh, mind blown, grieving, sad, all of that to read your story because I would have never thought that somebody that seemed so joyful of you would have had such a hard pass. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Just you being such a hope-filled, joyful spirit, but how you got there through Mm -hmm. a really hard story, Kelly. So thank you for coming on today to share that. Yes, it's good to be here. Would you just share, before we dive into your story, just share a little bit about who you are in your day-to-day life, where you live, who you live with, all of that stuff. (laughs) I live with our dog. Um, (laughs) We have... um, my husband and I have three kids and we rescued a lab a little over a year ago and he's a lot of fun too. Um, we live in Florida and uh, it's great to live here. It's no surprise that so many people vacation here. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful and we're really glad to put down roots here. And I'm a singer songwriter. So I do music full time. Um, in addition to wearing the hats of mother and wife and all the other things that so many of us women uh, do, but getting to create music uh, that brings hope and meets people through the things that life throws their way is really what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And I think one of the first times also we connected, you told me about a ukulele book or, that you had written and I had ordered that for my daughter because she plays the ukulele. So it's it's uh, lots of paths that connected us. Um, but what we want to talk about today is your really hard story. And I just feel like this world, this country is really grieving right now. And even this morning, this week, I've been, I have been feeling like just hopeless. Like I think we all just have moments and weeks of that. But you... You are a hope giver. You say your mission statement is, as a hope giver, I seek the flourishing of others through waking up the sleepers and cheering on the weary. I've lived by these words quietly for years. Now I'm ready to step into them and embody this with my art. Truth is truth, and I need to lay aside my own fears and inhibitions to embrace this calling. Honesty to my gifts and passion will not return void. Mm -hmm. So you are a hope giver, but you've had a hard story that got you there. So let's start... Let's start just briefly with your childhood, where, I mean, your, where you were born and raised, and then we'll get to your really hard story. Sure. So 
I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, which is North Florida. And um, I was always involved in the arts. I went to a really phenomenal school uh, for the performing arts. So I majored in music there. Um, It was highly competitive, audition only. If you've seen the movie Fame, like that was literally like my life as a teenager. (laughs) And it was so much fun. Um, Did dance, ballet, um, and and my major was music piano and voice and then minored in dance so the whole you know the whole thing the pressure the performing is just so fun and um had an incredible excellent education classically trained and um through that though um i developed an eating disorder and was anorexic and bulimic for five years um getting very 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 unhealthy and thin and um, you know, just hey, I'm tearing up. I did not even know this was part of your story because that's part <laughs> of my story too. Mm-hmm. Years of anorexia starting in high school, college. So sorry to interject. It's just, no. I'm reminded how our stories are so interrelated, all of all of ours in some way. So definitely. Um, wow. Yeah. And so you know, that drive to perfection. And, and it's interesting because one thing I like to point out, the the twisted thing in it all is that it worked. Like the skinnier I got the better roles I got, the more the teachers paid attention to me. And so it just fed this beast. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I really thought that like, as I began to experience healing through that, um, that's really where I came to know the Lord was through okay. walking and realizing how sick I was and my, my desperation for healing, okay. um, is really what led me to develop a, a personal relationship with the Lord but I always thought that that was going to be like my story and like the way I serve the world. And so isn't that the truth? I'm (laughs) stopping you because we do, we think we got through one hard thing and that is our story and our testimony. I have felt that with, with eating disorder, with the marriage, with alcohol, I mean, all of that. And I'm like, no God, I'm, I'm done. My story is good. We're good. We're good. (laughs) I'm ready to serve you. Let's go. (laughs) That's right. Um, But that wasn't the case for you. So through that, um, God brought a man into my life, um, my senior year of high school. And it was really funny because he had just graduated college and I was leading worship at a mega church and he was leading worship at the same mega church. And he was also on staff to lead their college and career ministry. And he asked me, he said, so what year are you when we were first meeting? And I was like, oh, I'm a senior. Assuming he knew I was a senior in high school. (laughs) He assumed I was a senior in college. And the moment when um, his mom met me several months later and understood I was a senior in high school, well, we had already fallen in love. I mean, it had been two weeks of dating when he was like, you are the woman for me and I am going to spend the rest of my life with you. Um, So the look on his face when he realized I was a senior in high school, and I I really wasn't trying to keep it from him. I just really genuinely assumed he knew. But by then it was too late. We were already in love. Um, (laughs) So we got married my um, freshman year of college. So I was married in college, which was really okay. fun. And we were on, at, uh, he was on staff. I mean, I wasn't paid on staff, but I was very involved um, okay. in this mega church with him and leading worship, leading the college and career ministry, which was bigger than most church. Our ministry had about a thousand people under okay. us. So, I mean, it was um, yeah. you know, probably closer to five, 500, between 500 and a thousand, depending on the events. But um, anyway, we had a, a, a big group of people we were responsible yeah. for. And um, 
but he was really the one that God used to help me find healing from the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And it was two things. One, it was the fact that he helped me realize that I was touchable and Mm. that, um, my worth is not in how I look, you know, he just loved me for how I was. And, um, and he, he touched me in a, in a beautiful way. You know, I I say that with purity, but it was like, he celebrated my body and that was, um, very, very healing. And, um, and then he also held me accountable and he just said, you know, I don't care if you starve yourself and throw up whatever you eat all day long. Just give me one meal that you don't do that with, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, Mm -hmm. we did that for a month. You know, he was like, there's no pressure. Just, just give me one, you know? And then, and if you do want to make that other choice, you know, to, to purge yourself, call me and let me know. Just, I won't be upset with you. I just want to know. And we just slowly walked through, you know, after I, I could succeed with one meal, you know, we'd move it to two and then we'd move it to a day and then a week. And it was this very slow clothed in love, accountability and prayer. And he would send me scriptures to cling to. And just very gradually over the course of about a year, um, God began to set me free from this really toxic mindset that it helps me. You saying all this, I mean, just reminded eating disorders are so hard. Like mm-hmm. I remember in the depths of mine, my husband was also an alcoholic and he quit drinking. He's been sober for what, 15 years, mm-hmm. but eating, you just don't stop. Like it's always right. there. Food's always there. Have Body to- image stuff <laughs> is always there. Like right. I, it's, it's so hard. And at least for me, I question, well, I don't know. This sounds a little like, will I ever be fully healed? Like, it's always a thing. Like I'm not where I was, yeah. but it's still like always a thing. I uh, fully agree. I think it will always be there. I mean, there's certain, I'm sure for you too, there's certain triggers, certain places, certain meals, certain mm-hmm. foods that I know, like if I, like for me, one of my weird ones is carabas. Like I just can't eat at carabas. That's so mm-hmm. weird. It's an Italian restaurant. I don't know how mm-hmm. If yeah. that's national or not, but <laughs> I just like, I, I just, it's like, okay, that's just a trigger place for me for some weird reason. And I can't eat, I can't eat there, right, you know? Right. Um, but so I'm, I'm getting down this rabbit hole, but to, to come back. Um, so AJ and I were married. Um, we had about 10 different friends, couples who got married around the same time as us and they okay. all got pregnant right away. Okay. And so, you know, we were in this college and career group. So it was like twenties mm-hmm. to thirties, you know, so all of them get married then all of them get pregnant. And we thought, well, we weren't planning to get pregnant so soon, but we really want our kids to grow up together. So we actually tried for six months to get pregnant with okay. Eli, even though I was young, we thought, well, we want to do this in community. And so Eli was very wanted and very mm-hmm. prayed for, you know, and, um, and when I became pregnant, it was such a, such a response to God's work in our life. Yeah. Um, so, um, he was and from born. outward appearances. It just looks like your life is perfect. I mean, it yeah, was like, you were perfect. living a pretty perfect life, married to this dream yeah. guy, have a baby leading church ministry. Life is so good. It was so good. Um, so we were, um, Eli was born July 16th, 2004. He's 16 years old now. And um, we had just driven to visit AJ, my husband's family here in Orlando. And um, we call it the longest vacation of my life. I call it the longest vacation of my life because we never made it home. Mm -hmm. So we were driving back home on the Florida Turnpike and um, 
there was a woman going the opposite direction over hundred miles an hour and she lost control of her car. She hit the, the median, which was a ditch and that kind of catapulted her car on top of our car. So we literally didn't see it coming. It came like out of the sky um, and killed AJ instantly. And um, our son, I was in the car. I'm a miracle. I, I don't have any explanation for how I'm sitting in this chair today other than that God works in ways we don't always understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and our son, he was three months old. Um, he was severely injured. So we were lifelighted to back to Orlando to the um, hospital here where he went on to fight for his life. So in, a, in an instant, literally, you hear it, but in an instant, everything changed in your life. Just dream shattered, the life you had planned gone, it's all taken from you. So how old were you and how many years have you been married when this happened? It was right before my 21st birthday and okay. right before our second wedding anniversary. So you are 21 and a widow. And mm-hmm. ironically, I, the other interview I did this week was with a woman whose husband also was taken at a young age. And I, it's not lost on me that the Bible tells us to care for the widows and orphans because I think Jesus knows this pain of being a widow, losing, losing the person you think is the love of your life, your companion, your soulmate. Um, so here you are, 21, and that happens. And I just... My mind can't even fathom, Kelly. You say, my world fell apart in an instant. I went from singing to weeping, from being as it should be to suddenly finding everything in a million pieces around me. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was left standing in the middle of the rubble and I didn't know which way was north. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how did you move on? How did you get up that next day? How did you not abandon your faith in your God? Mm -hmm. I mean, just, there's a lot there. So you you kind of take it where you want to go with that. The answer is, I, I didn't go on and I did abandon my faith. And, um, you know, people look at me, I mean, you started the interview by saying, how, how can somebody who's gone through so much have hope and exude joy and, and all of this. And I, I tell people I'm 16 years in to the road of healing 16 years into grief, um, 16 years into wrestling with the God, with God through a lot of really hard questions. Um, and so, you can't compare wherever you are in your journey to where I am in my journey, because we've all had different experiences and have had different amounts of time to heal and grow. And so um, me today is very, very, very different than me 16 years ago than me 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I hope as we talk through this time now, you know, I would love to invite you in on my journey and and some of the wrestling with God and some of the things the Holy Spirit has shown me that have helped heal my heart. And I would hope um, extend that to you in a a fresh way. Um, But the the reality is it crushed me. Um, And we are not capable to get through anything like this on our own. I do not know how people can, can suffer tragedy and grief and loss apart from the Lord. And really it was sort of this feistiness of like, I felt like Satan had robbed me of so much that early on my desire to to keep the faith was more out of this motivation of like, Satan is not going to win me too. Like he's stolen so much from me. He could not have me. So it was almost this like reverse motivation of like, no, (laughs) right. right. Um, but, but God, God can use anything. and, And he indeed used that, um, 
to, to keep me close, even when I was wanting to run. Really, the other, the other, in a sense, this really odd grace was that Eli was so sick that I had to keep going. I, in a lot of ways, I didn't start to really grieve until about two years in because mm-hmm. Eli needed so much medical care that it was kind of all hands on deck yeah. just to help him. And um, he was in the ICU. You were caught up in like survival mode, really. hundred I mean, percent. Yeah. Yes. Survival mode. Because Eli, he is alive today and well, but that wasn't, that didn't always look like that could be the prognosis. Right. So share, I want to come back to your faith journey, but do share just a little bit about what you were going through with Eli mm-hmm. for those first few years, months after the accident. Yeah. So he was in the pediatric intensive care unit and it took a couple days to figure out the extent of his injuries. He was 14 weeks old. So he's, you know, tiny baby. Um, and there were many times where I would be by his bed and his, he would start to have a seizure that they couldn't control. They'd last 30, 40 minutes and he'd just flatline, you know, and they'd rush me out of the room and turn the blinds closed and rush in with all the respiratory people and try to revive him. So it was very touch and go, um, in those early days, he had a stroke, um, from bleeding on his brain from injuries. So most of his injuries were internal. Like if you looked at him, he's mostly, you know, cute little baby, but his, his, most of his injuries were internal brain related injuries. Um, and that bleeding was causing seizures and they couldn't control the seizures. And so it was just a lot of, and then that was causing more bleeding whenever you would have a seizure. And so it was, his whole thing was just kind of, everything was exacerbating everything. Were you able to go to God during that time? Like pray, cry out, or was it just no, like focus on my kid and I don't, God, you've let me down. I'm not, I'm done with you. (laughs) You know, I, I did. I think there was this, you know, being in survival mode, emotions sometimes take a back seat. And, um, just because you're like on adrenaline and you're, you're just, you've got to figure this stuff out. And so there was one day about a week after he had been in the hospital and it was, there was a lot of people gathered at my husband's parents' house. And we, it was the first time I left the hospital and, and everybody was saying, you know, you just need to take a break, leave, get a warm meal, like go, go see other people. And I really didn't want to, but I did. And at that point we really didn't know the implications of Eli's injuries. We kind of knew what was going on, but we didn't know what that would mean long-term. So I remember I left the hospital and I told the doctor on, on the floor that night, I said, you know, please call me. If you hear anything, if anything changes, you get any test results back. I don't mind if I get news over the phone. So I go to my in-laws house. There's about 50 people there. And, um, you know, this is a picture of community because I was not capable of this on my own, but I went there and, um, pretty much as soon as I walked in the door, I got a call from the doctor and, um, he said, you know, if Eli lives, he'll probably never walk or talk or show emotion. And I was off to my, off to the side on my own. And I hung up the phone and I just said, God, like, I can't do this. Like I just lost my husband. And now I'm learning that I'm going to have a child with severe special needs like this. I can't do this. Like I, I need you to step in right now. So I go into the family room and everybody was waiting to hear what the doctor said. And, um, our pastor of the church, I was telling you about that AJ and I were serving at, he was down visiting, um, 
And he said, you know, we don't need to pray for Eli right now. God knows what Eli needs. He said, we need to remember who God is right now. So he said, instead of asking God for anything, let's all take time to just speak truths of who we know God to be. Mm. And so we didn't sing. It was just all this giant chorus of everybody saying different things, but it was speaking truth of who God is like, God, you are holy. God, you are faithful. God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know, just going everybody all at once, all 50 people. And I have chills telling the story. I mean, this was, I've never felt the power of the Holy spirit as tangibly as I did in that moment. And we never ask God for anything. So And again, I'm still kind of callous. I wasn't feeling a lot of emotion, even in that experience, other than just like the reality of the Holy Spirit. I I wonder if that's also God just like making you numb, you know, because if we fully felt the gravity, like, I don't think you could have gotten out of that or gone on. So I I think that was God's grace to you to give you some of that, to help you be numb a little bit to the situation. I love that you pointed that out. I really agree. I think that's a beautiful perspective. And, um, you know, hindsight, even in tragedy is just completely flooded with God's goodness and grace. Mm, um, so true because he doesn't, it's not like these things are good, but he redeems them and you can see his faithfulness. So Eli had not eaten. He had been unconscious mm. since the accident. And, you know, and I'm, I'm a new mom. I, I've got, I'm pumping bottles of milk, you know, just to keep my supply in case you were to wake up. And um, so I had this whole stash of milk at the, in the picky refrigerator mm-hmm. and um, I come back to the hospital. So I'd only been gone about two hours. And one of the nurses is running down the hall to meet me. She's like, Kelly, where have you been? And I was like, oh, you know, just (laughs) trying to get a break. Like people told me to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And she goes, well, Eli's awake and he's had seven bottles while you were gone. And, you know, I had said most of his injuries were internal, but he did have this one big scratch on his forehead. And I looked at him and that scratch was gone and not gone like a scar healing. Like it was like that had never been there. And from that moment, Eli stopped having those uncontrollable seizures and he was home from the hospital less than two weeks later. And so God just did this incredible about face in Eli. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a miracle. Like anybody listening who thinks that God can't do miracles in modern time, I am telling you, I am tangible proof that he does and he is, and I have experienced it. And, but here's the tricky thing, you know, no baby walks or talks or shows emotion. And so he, he has this drastic, like before it was like life or death and and he Mm -hmm. became stable and we knew he was going to live. We had no idea what that quality of life would be like. Right. right. Um, And, but I just said, so believed that, well, God, you healed him. And so therefore he will be like every other child, you know, like, this is great. Here we go. You know? Um, And it became clear over the next couple of years that Eli's healing looked different than I thought it would. Uh, that's and- just what was going through my mind <laughs> on so many, on so many levels though. Like, yeah. cause I remember praying for my dad to be healed or know of like yeah. other people. And sometimes that healing doesn't even look like on earth. Yeah. And so even though you had a miracle and right. he was healed on this earth, it wasn't the healing that we It was very different. And I wrestled, yeah. I mean, I shook my fist at God a lot over this one because I yeah. thought, 
you know, you showed up, God, like, why not finish the job? Like, why not do it the whole way? You know, right. Right. (laughs) I want to tell my kids to do that. You know, it's like, right. Like, what is this? And, um, I really, it, it, I was really bitter those early Mm -hmm. years as, of, as being Eli's mom and a single mom, nonetheless, a single mom. Yeah. I was a single mom for five years, um, navigating a lot of challenging (sighs) health issues, therapy, several times a day, every day for years, you know, just, Mm -hmm. it was a full-time job just to care for Eli medically. And, um, and, you know, we had, I'm a believer in therapy. There there became this point where it kind of became toxic and and not helpful because we had all these well-meaning adults trying to help Eli, but the result was that they were just constantly pointing out the ways he didn't measure up, you know, what Mm -hmm. he couldn't do. Like he can't pick up his Cheerios, right? He can't Mm -hmm. chew, right? He can't hold a pencil, right? You know, like it was just, it was constantly like under a microscope of what he couldn't do. It it affected me as a mom as well. And I remember a few years in, I just was so burnt out and done. And I was just like, God, I'm going to write a parenting book and it's going to say parenting is hard. The end peace out. (laughs) And, and I think I had to realize, um, what the Holy spirit spoke to me at a very, very low point, several years into this was that he did heal Eli fully. He healed Eli to do and be exactly what he created him to do and be on this earth. Yeah. And it's going to look different than other kids, but it's going to be perfect for him. And he's going to be able to fulfill the calling that God has on his life. Mm. And special needs are not going to get in the way of that. Um, It's part of that. And so I think as soon as I could see it as, oh, he is completely whole for what God has him for. And I I just freed my heart to love him for who he is and what he can do instead of micro focusing on what he couldn't do and, and who he wasn't. And it's yeah. completely transformed how I parent him and how we interact as mother and son. Um, and that and that freedom to just love him who he fully is and quit wishing he was more or something else. And now it's just like, my heart just overflows with how stinking cute he is. Like mm-hmm. he's 16, but in a lot of ways, he's like six, you know? And right, his, right. His world is simple and delightful. And I just, I love the way he sees the world and sees people and like lives life and um, and in a sense seeing coming to Jesus with childlike eyes over and yeah. over where we want to yeah. put in a box of here's how our kids should grow and develop right. And do. right and I mean the Lord has worked on your heart and changing your story through him through Eli and what he's become yeah I know one of the blog posts you talked about and this is you sharing this reminds me you said when hard things happen it's easy to get stuck on the question why mm. but it's the wrong question So I'm guessing you had to ask this about early on about Eli, like you changed, said until your eyes are open. What about with your husband? Like you had to still have struggled with that question. I'm guessing the why. Yeah. You know, I think a grace God has given me all along is like, I kind of just intuitively knew that why was never the right question because I knew that that would not bring AJ back and that would not help Mm. me find a way forward. And so I kind of just had that intuitive sense that like asking why is futile because Mm -hmm. it doesn't change my situation, but I need to figure out the how, you know, how do I move forward? What does this look like? So I think I just realized that I think we so often can get tripped up. And I think the enemy does that. The enemy's a punk and we got to call that out 
the lie and the deception for what it is, because he wants to get us caught up in the why, because he knows that if we stay there, we're just spinning our wheels and we're missing the fruit and the healing and the, and the gold that God wants to give us. Should we trust him with our, our deeper questions? And for me, a moment of healing came Several years later, I was reading the book of Job and, you know, like, oh gosh, we all know Job. He lost everything and suffered and blah, blah, blah. But I, the Holy Spirit showed me something in the book of Job that I'd never noticed before. And you know the story, Job's angry at God and and being really honest. And his friends are all like, hey, you can't say that about God. You know, you need to repent from your sins, blah, blah, blah. But we do that. Like we often even put ourselves in the role of the friends for ourselves, like our self-talk. That's so true. And, and we look at Job and we're like, how can you say that about God? But here's the thing. This is, this is like my aha moment. At the very end of Job, it's the, it's the last, the second to last chapter. It's my Bible has it heading. It says God restores Job. Mm-hmm. So God addresses Job. And I'm pretty sure, even though in the Bible, it's later on chronologically, when this was written, I'm pretty sure this is the first time where God calls another human being, his friend. So God looks at Job and he says, my friend, Job, I want you to pray for your friends for not being honest with me or about me. And I, in that moment, God showed me the value he places on us being honest with him. That Job in all of his honesty and wrestling and asking these hard questions became a friend with God. And that was the context of God restoring Job and blessing him. It had to happen in the context of relationship, but it was relationship in the context of honesty, because we can't be honest if there's not trust. And so all of these pieces were coming together. And in that God was giving me permission to be honest with him and say, I don't have this all figured out. Yeah. I hate this. I'm mad at you. Right. <laughs> I don't know the way forward, you know? And just when I allowed myself to really grieve in a way that I didn't feel like I had to be strong, um, in a way that mm-hmm. I could be a mess in a way that I could, um, not have it all together and just, yeah. but bring all that to God and trust that he wouldn't be shocked by that or turned away by that. Or like, you know, therefore he wouldn't be faithful. Like if I wasn't faithful to him, would he be faithful to me? The answer is right. yes, because that's right. who he is. He's bigger than us. Um, and so then Job, you know, he prays for his friends and then God restores Job after yeah. that. And you sharing that feeling like you finally had that freedom to be real with God and not look like you have it all together. I mean, that's so, I think back to your past of having an eating disorder. I mean, mm-hmm. that's so contradictory to that because with that eating disorder, we want control. We want to look like we're perfect. We want to look like we have it all together, Yeah. but God was putting you in a place of having no control, mm-hmm. looking like your life is a mess and you don't have it together. Yeah. And I just, I think that's a powerful contradiction, but I guess part of your, your hard healing process. Yeah. So talk just a little bit more about your grief journey, because just with what we're talking about now, it's, it's messy and hard. And you said in the years after the accident, I was tempted to go around to circumvent the grieving process. I just wanted to dull the pain, bury it, avoid it. But every day I prayed against the temptation and just experiencing, like I said, the loss of my dad last year and being a year into this grieving process, Mm -hmm. it's so hard. And until you're in it, you just don't know. 
And there's lots of books about it and lots of like, here's the step. But I just don't think it's as linear and here's the steps. I think it's so unique for every person, but I think giving yourself that permission to grieve is a big step. So will you share just a little bit about your process? Yeah. So I believe grieving in a healthy way means making no emotion off limits. Mm -hmm. And some days it's not feeling guilty for being happy or laughing at something that's funny. And other days it's not being afraid to messy cry and lay on the floor and scream and pound your fist into a pillow. And whatever that is, it's, it's just being present in whatever that emotion is. And that doesn't mean letting your emotions control you, but it also means having a freedom to, to be in those emotions as they come. And that to me is what grieving in a healthy way looks like. And we cannot heal if we don't allow ourselves to grieve, it's, it's, there is just no other way. And believe me, because I tried like every mm-hmm. other way you can imagine. Um, you know, and for me, Sheldon Van Alken has an incredible book. Um, it's called a severe mercy and Sheldon Van mm-hmm. Alken was, uh, the man that led CS Lewis to Christ. And this book is really, really cool because you kind of have these tandem things happening where, you get all these letters back and forth between C.S. Lewis and Sheldon Van Alken as they're sort of arguing the faith. And you see Lewis kind of come to faith Mm -hmm. through these letters back and forth, but they're happening in the context of Sheldon Van Alken falling in love and then watching his wife die and then grieving the the loss of his life, his wife's Which C.S. Lewis went through the same thing. Yeah, um, Steve Lewis did several years later, but it's interesting yeah. that their, their friendship mm-hmm. really Lewis's faith was forged in this context. And so it's yeah, a that's so really, interesting. really powerful, beautiful book. And it's called A Severe Mercy. And it's around this okay. concept of, you know, God can give us mercy that hurts, but it's mm. it's exactly what we need. Mm. And, you know, that concept of him withholding what we think we want and giving us instead what we truly need. Um, yeah. And that's a loving thing, even when it's really hard. And for me, I really thought that redemption would look like, well, just getting married again, like having it all put back together, Mm -hmm, you know, Um, mm -hmm. I don't need to grieve. I just need another husband. God, like we can do that. That's easy. Like, here we go. Let's just give me another husband. Um, And I really thought, and it was so easy. I mean, I told you earlier, it was so easy when I met AJ, it was like two weeks in and we knew we were going to get married. We didn't get married till a year later, but still it was like, no. And I was like, we'll just do that again. Everything is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And God loved me enough to say no. Mm. And um, I was a widow for five years. And I told you it was really not until about two years in that I even began to start grieving. But about four years in, I was getting really impatient. I was like, okay, God, like, I've done my part. Like right. here, I'm ready. Where are you? Um, and it was really that last year where, where I was talking about that Job moment where the grief became honest mm-hmm. and I, it was ugly and God and I were like fighting it really mm-hmm. hard. But what happened in that was our relationship was just like deep dive down into right. the depth, richness of a very, very authentic relationship. Um, that could only be forged in that brutal honesty and in that pain and that severe mercy. Um, so God, not giving me a husband right away, um, 
was really the very vehicle he used to allow me to be healed mm. because I could not, he would not let me put a bandaid on this right. gaping wound. And right. if I was looking to a husband to solve problems that only my God could solve, I would never be satisfied or fulfilled or even healed or whole. Um, and so it was five because years. we we wanted that pain we wanted to continue to be numb when god's like okay oh, yeah. now let's get real it's like oh no, no no that that numbing was really good let's keep numbing it um so do you feel like are you still in the grieving process 16 years later like i'm curious yeah. your thoughts on that yeah i i think don't ever let anybody try to tell you that you should be done grieving at a certain point because grief mm -hmm. just doesn't work like that. It doesn't, yeah. it's not confined. Grief looks different, you know, but I still try to live with this approach of grieving in a healthy way. And so there's some days, like I, I think I posted just a couple of weeks ago is in Trader Joe's and the song they played at AJ's service during the slideshow mm -hmm. came on the loudspeaker. It was the song, look at that girl with the broken smile. She will be loved. And um, every time I hear that song, it's like, oh, I got to like stop. I got to take a deep breath, you know, and, and, and on one hand, it's like, I am loved now. Like I, they were right. right. You know, the song is right. Um, right. So there's this sweetness, but there's also just this dull, oh, this ache. And for me, a day that's always really awkward is the anniversary of the accident. Um, it happened on Halloween. So I hate Halloween. I just feel like death is being mocked yeah. all around Gosh. me, but you know, even in that, bringing that grief to God. So I know once October comes, it's like, I feel like the oxygen gets thinner mm -hmm. and it's harder to mm -hmm. breathe. And then once the Halloween decorations go up, it's like, I just kind of want to crawl into a hole until November. But a couple years ago, can I tell you a little story? Yes, absolutely. I know this whole thing is a story, but here's a little story within a story. It's a fine, it's perfect. So a couple years ago, it was the anniversary of the accident. I, I think I had mentioned, you know, I got married five years after the accident. Yeah. My husband and I, we have two other kids. He adopted Eli. So we have three kids and um, our littles were little at that point. <laughs> and, um, you know, so being a mom of two little ones is they, they, they don't understand grief, right? They're, right, they're right. two and three year olds. They need the muffin crumbs cleaned off the floor and right. goldfish on their plates and you know, all right. <laughs> so it wasn't until the afternoon on the, on the 31st, where I finally had time to sit and have a quiet time with the Lord while they were taking their afternoon naps. And every year that's such an awkward day because it's like, Oh, I miss him. It's been a whole nother year of missing him. But then it's also like, wow, like we've gotten through another year. Yeah. Um, so it's just this mixed day. Um, and I was sitting down, having my quiet time. And I just thought, Lord, I just, I need you today. I want to feel your presence. I want to, whatever I read in your word, let it speak to me, you know, anything. Yeah. And my quiet time was just brutally quiet. And I was frustrated mm. and I said, God, not today, not today. And, and I thought, well, oh, well, like I showed up I don't know where you were, but I got a lot to do. Peace out, you know? And I sensed the Holy Spirit say, no, wait. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, I can do that. So I sit, you know, and yeah. it was still brutally quiet. And I thought, okay, God, for real, like, really? Like why, mm. you know, mm. I got a lot to do. <laughs> so I tried to get up a second time. And again, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, no, mm. sit, wait. So I sit and I wait and I started thinking about how God had gotten me through that week of Halloween. And I thought, well, thank you, Lord. 
Then I started going backwards. Well, you got me through another month. You got me through another October. Thank you, Lord. And then I started going back. Well, you got me through another year. Thank you, Lord. And then I slowly started going back and playing every memory, like kind of in reverse in my mind. Mm. And I couldn't find a single moment where God had not been faithful, even in the messiest, ugliest moments of grief. I could not identify a single moment where God had abandoned me. And I think so even when you think, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm just thinking, because my first thought is even when your husband, that day, your husband died, you did not feel like God abandoned you. So that's Yeah, go ahead. This is where I'm going. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. So, um, so I had something that happened, um, that day that I've never had happen before or since, but I was completely wide awake, but it was like, I was dreaming. Mm -hmm. And I told you I was, I was in the accident. I have no memory of the accident. That's just a grace. Like my memory was like wiped from that. (laughs) Um, but I, that afternoon in my quiet time, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in my chair wide awake, but it was like, I was dreaming and I saw the black asphalt and there were woods next to the road. And there was all this broken glass on the road. Mm-hmm. And there was a man standing in the glass and his arms were outstretched. And there were these dark clouds rolling in and there was something coming out of the man's mouth and it was pushing back those dark clouds. And in that moment, God changed my story forever because I'd always told my story from the moment the hospital chaplain told me in the hospital that AJ was killed. But in that moment, God showed me that he was standing in the mess of it all, the moment Mm -hmm. of impact. The moment that car hit our car, he was standing in the shrapnel, pushing back the darkness so that I was not consumed. The moment it all fell apart, he was there Mm. and he was present. And that changed my story forever because I could say, yes, I have not been consumed by this because you have been faithful. Mm. And the only reason I'm here today is a testament to his faithfulness and his constantly pushing back the darkness so that we are not consumed. And so that's really my ministry is like, I want you to know that God has been faithful to you no matter what has happened to you. And you might say, sister, you don't know my story. You don't know what's happened to me. And I say, yes, I don't. And I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry for your pain and I'm sorry for your grief, but I know our God and I know he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And I know the fact that you are here today, listening to this podcast, showing up in this space as a testament yeah. to his love and attentiveness and grace, pushing back the darkness in your life so that you are not, have not been and will not be consumed because that's who our God is. And he's faithful, even in the moments where it all falls apart. He's faithful. Amen. So Amen, I went, Kelly, oh. <laughs> I'm tearing up and I'm just like, oh, I cannot wait to share this with my own mom, who is still a grieving widow. And it is, and I do want to remind listeners, you're 16 years into this. You could not have said this. No way. 16, 15, 14, 10 years ago, even yeah. like it is such a process, but you are here to say yeah. that God is with you. And yeah. you couldn't say this had you not been through all this crap. Like if you had, if your eating disorder was the end of your heart story, <laughs> you could say it, but it wouldn't be as impactful 
Yeah. Um, and it's so, again, how God has used your story, brought beauty out of this mm-hmm. brokenness that your life chapters have had. And it's, it's such a powerful testimony, Kelly. So I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go, go, go. Well, no, thank you. I, I was just going to say that afternoon, I went to the piano and I wrote my song, Beauty Was mm-hmm. There. And um, it's really just kind of telling the story. And so you can listen to that song on Spotify or wherever you listen to music, um, but it's, it's called beauty was there. And that's your, your music is powerful. I mean, I had never listened to it until we connected, but it so speaks to the heart. And I'm curious, did you write during this whole time? Was your, did your music play a role in your healing or were you done with that? (laughs) Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, AJ and I were doing music together. Um, so that was sort of the context of our relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I was writing, but in a lot of ways I was kind of hidden away on needing to grieve and there weren't a lot of doors opening up. Um, and it, my, I think my music was more this kind of vertical processing just between me yeah. and God, not really a yeah. public thing. Um, I released my first album, uh, Sarah Groves spoke into that and sort of mentored me through that and her producer produced it. Um, so I released that about seven years ago. And that's sort of when I would say I began kind of this public facing ministry with music and songwriting and mm-hmm. um wanting to be a professional hope giver. <laughs> so I have five albums out now. Before we talk about your music, because I want to dive into that a little bit more, let's back up a little bit. And I want to talk about the Thank You Project because that ugh, was just such a profound offering to God and to those that saved your son's life. And it shows just how far you came in like, mm-hmm. this is this is the thankfulness that I have. So can you talk, we'll link up the video to it, but can you link, okay. or tell us just a little bit about the Thank You Project? Yeah. So 10 years after the accident, you know, uh, I had these doctors saying that Eli would probably never walk or talk or show motion. And he does have special needs and those special needs make him more special, but he also does walk and talk and show lots of emotion. Um, Loves Star Wars and reading and he takes a walk every afternoon. So he's so sweet. And so 10 years after the accident, my husband and I were watching Eli blow bubbles for his little brother and sister. And, you know, it was just one of those like perfect afternoons where like everybody was giggling and, and it was just so sweet. And and my husband and I were saying, man, can you believe the doctor said that this would never be possible? And Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be so cool if we went back and kind of told him like, look at Eli now, like, because you guys showed up and did your job and did a good job. Like we can celebrate these sweet moments. And so it sort of became this thing of just like wanting to tell them the rest of the story and, and thank them for the role that they played. Yeah. Well, one of my albums, I made an album in Mandarin Chinese that I released in Hong Kong. Um, and I was about to go in the studio to record in Chinese, which was the hardest thing I've ever done professionally. Sure. Um, and no, I do not speak Chinese, but I had a language coach and a wow. translator just to preemptively answer those questions that I get asked all the time. Okay. Um, but I was about to record in Chinese and our, my husband and I, we host worship and prayer nights kind of regularly. And so we decided to have a worship and prayer night before I went in the studio, just to kind of have community surround us and support us, um, stepping into this project. And so a friend had invited a friend and I didn't know this person, um, that he's in our house that night. And I was telling him about the project and we we're going to pray for, and he said, well, wait a minute, you got to sing in Chinese for us right now. And I was like, ah, gosh. Okay. (laughs) And, um, and so I was going to sing my song beauty was there. Like I was just telling you about, I, Mm -hmm. I, we recorded that in Chinese on the album. 
Okay. So I, I decided to sing Beauty Was There to the, for them. And I was telling them the story of Beauty Was There. And this friend had like a million questions as, as I'm getting to know him. He didn't know our story. Yeah. And as I'm telling my story, I say, I'd really love to find the doctors that helped heal Eli and thank them. Mm-hmm. And literally he was like falling off of our couch at this point. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but I work for the children's hospital and I tell stories. I make videos of stories um, about the hospital and their 10th anniversary, their 20th anniversary is coming up to the hospital and they want to do something really big and special to celebrate. And we've been trying to figure out what story we want to tell. And this story would be perfect. What do you think? You know? And so I'm like, wow, only God, right? I, right. I love all the connections here. So I say, sure, you know, present it to the hospital board, you know, and people talk big all the time. So I wasn't, I had no expectations, right. but he comes back about a month later and he's like, they want to do it. They want to tell the story and they'll help you contact all the medical professionals. Um, wow. So I basically showed up with Eli's medical records and, you know, two inches thick and they helped find all the different nurses and doctors. There was over 20 people that we thanked. And they basically just mm. followed us with a film crew as we went along and did it. it. Took about six months, so it's a five-minute video, and most of the thank yous in the video show like a hug. Um, but really, each thank you was like an hour long and crying and just right. really powerful. And you got to remember, it was ten years in, so all these people have been doing their jobs at least yeah. ten years, but most yeah. of them closer to twenty years. And um, and probably video. never often knowing the outcome of the kids exactly. that they serve. I mean, you know, this is the trauma department, you know, the PICU. And mm-hmm. really for them, for people that work in these intensive care parts of the hospital, you know, if, if it goes well, then that patient is moved up to a higher floor. Right. And it, but they're right. just immediately on to their next critically ill patient. Yeah. And yeah. so they're kind of always with people at their worst. And so there were several of them that said they'd never been thanked. The video only shows one woman, but there were several and I've been interviewed countless times about this, but the reason is because they're always with people who are just trying to survive. And we talked yeah. earlier about just surviving in grief. And so they're with people in the worst moment of their life yeah. over and over and over again. They are true heroes. Yeah. And, they're uh, God's hands and feet who often yeah. don't get thanked for it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people said, why, why did you wait 10 years to go back? You know, I get asked that question a lot and it's simple because I did not have the capacity for gratitude. I mean, gratitude, yeah. it is a choice, but it flows out of, of a place of healing and wholeness. Mm. And so I, if we're not being grateful, I don't think that that's necessarily a permanent problem or like a character flaw. It right. just right. means you're at a certain spot in your journey and right. gratitude will become possible. And, um, once I did have capacity for gratitude, it was such a joy to be able to go back and express yeah. that. So the Today Show heard what we were doing um, as we were working on this project, and they actually got first rights to the story from the hospital. Oh. So they sent their own film crew down and kind of did their own version of the story and followed us. Um, and they sat on it for nine months, and they kept saying, okay. we're going to air it, we're going to air it, and they kept pushing it back and pushing it back. And the hospital couldn't release their video till after the Today Show did. Oh, geez. And again, it was one of those like, come on, God, what are you doing? You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and because we never imagined it would go viral. I was like, just so not part of why we did it at all. Right, right. Um, but the Today Show, they called us um, about a week before Thanksgiving and they said, 
We have the perfect slot for it. We're going to show it mm. on Thanksgiving morning, our mm. last slot on the Today Show right before the Macy's Day Parade, which is their biggest viewership of the entire year. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but so God, yeah. It airs. Mm-hmm. And then then the hospital releases their video. And then, you know, like all these celebrities were resharing it on Facebook. And so altogether, it's had over like 150 million views, which is just crazy. His timing to show it then where so many eyes and hearts could see it and hear it. Wow, Kelly, that is, that's powerful in itself. And like I said, the video is just so powerful and just shows us the power of gratitude for people. And Mm -hmm. just even in our own healing Oh, it was so healing. Yes. And, you know, and to be able to kind of reprocess, like kind of rewalk these steps Mm -hmm. from from a place of kind of more wholeness allowed me to grieve at like a whole nother level, which I didn't expect going into this, but it was almost like this like retroactive grief from a place of wholeness and being able to like feel it in a different way. It was was really healing. I'm really good. Because thankfulness is the farthest thing from our heart after a traumatic event like that you went through. So it was definitely part of your healing process to do that. So let's shift for the sake of time. Mm -hmm. I would love to keep talking about this. There's so many ways that we could go, but let's jump forward to where we were at when I had Mm -hmm. you move back about your song, even when you are a hope giver, but 2020 was a year that I'm guessing your hope was tested. I mean, I read that it was your music wise, it was one of your most successful years, but with family, your faith, all of those things, your hope was definitely tested. So do you want to share a little bit of your story with 2020 and how this song came about and how you decided to quote, come out as a Christian <laughs> uh, writer and songwriter? Yeah. So I'll kind of start with your last question and work backwards. So because okay. The Thank You Project went so viral. I was on PerezHilton.com. Like, I mean, I was in the Huffington Post and like uh, Cosmopolitan and all these crazy, all of these publications that were not in the church. And honestly, I've been kind of hurt by the church. And so the church in general, like kind of lowercase d, really to this day has not given our story much attention in a public way at all. Um, I haven't been featured in hardly any Christian publications or podcasts or anything, but God has had an incredible amount of favor outside the church. And so mm-hmm. I just think where God's moving, I want to pay attention. And I spend a little time being frustrated with the church over the lack of engagement, but I just realized like, well, there must be a reason. And so I felt like, well, there is so much hurt and pain and grief. And as I said earlier, I don't know how anybody could process grief apart from faith, the love and provision of God. So maybe that is more a place where I'm called or uniquely gifted to invest and and engage. And so I just felt like I wanted to write music in a way that could meet you no matter where you're coming at from faith. Mm-hmm. Now, my faith 100% motivates every single lyric I write. Um, and I pray intensely over the process of songwriting and, and producing and creating music. Um, but I've sort of felt like I'm like, I, uh, maybe this is wrong to say, but I feel like I'm sort of this undercover CIA faith agent. Um, mm-hmm. But I just came out, my cover's blown. Yeah. The, the church doesn't do a very good job of showing up for the hurting and mm-hmm. the grieving and meeting us in our pain. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing you say that you, you felt that. And so you, you were called to show up for people and not under that veil of the yeah. church or Christianity, because you didn't want people to be turned away from that. Right. Right. Yeah. 
I was really worried that if I came out openly as a Christian on social media or even with this mm -hmm. song, that I would lose a lot of my audience. And the reality mm -hmm. is over the last year, I've come out more and more with more faith-based posts. Mm -hmm. Not everything I write is faith-based by any means. I mean, maybe a quarter of it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt really worried to do that. And I lost a lot of followers on Instagram as I stepped into that. But what I've found is that those that have stayed in the new followers I have mm -hmm. are really being encouraged. And yeah. there's like a, a sweet authenticity to the relationship. And, you know, I've been on this journey of realizing it's not about numbers, um, but it's about quality and, and the relationships. And so right. stepping into that now, what sort of propelled this forward for us is our family was really affected by COVID. Um, we were sick early on in the pandemic in the spring, so about a year ago. Um, and our daughter suffered um, pretty severe complications from COVID that put her in and out of the hospital for nine months. Um, for about six months, it was hard for her to even walk unassisted. Oh and she How was, old is your daughter? I'm sorry to interrupt, but. She's 10. She was a gymnast, like super fit, healthy, active, like full of life, no pre-existing health conditions yeah. at all, like never saw this coming. And it just, it was really debilitating, really confusing. And, you know, nobody knew, like it was, everybody was learning. All of the doctors were learning right, right alongside of us is what was going on, how to right. care for her. There's so many things that God's done in this. It's been really hard, but I think as a family, he's used it to help like collectively grow our faith together as a family mm -hmm. and understand a little more of what's going on in the unseen world, the spiritual world that we so rarely talk about. And I I've encountered the Holy spirit in ways over this last year. And our family has in ways over this last year, that's just like undeniable that there is a spiritual reality that we can't see that is very real and we should be aware of that and um, engaging that with incredible wisdom, um, engaging it, um, but living in a way that is not blind to yeah. the battle going on around us um, for our souls. We have an enemy. I said earlier, he's a punk and he's a liar and he's a thief and he comes to steal, kill and destroy. And part of why my mission statement is to wake up the sleepers is because I think one of his biggest tactics is to keep us numb and keep us asleep, mm -hmm. sleepwalking through life and missing out on all the abundance and goodness yeah. promises that God has given us yeah. um, when he created us. And so I, I think I've woken up to like, I can't be silent anymore mm -hmm. because the stakes are just too high. And I don't want to mm -hmm. sit back with some wishy-washy message when our souls are at stake. And right. um, when God comes to give us life, it's life for now. Yes, it's eternal life and we'll get to live with him forever, but I'm kind of less focused on that right now because right. he's coming to give us abundant life today. He's alive right. and active in presence today. His faithfulness is extended to us today. It's not this yeah. future hope that will eventually come. Right. If we jump through all the hoops. It's like, no, it's for like this minute right, right now. Right. Um, and I just, I don't want to waste another minute. I'm just like, no, I, I've experienced too much. Like I don't want to mess around. And so you're still in it though, with your daughter having these <laughs> long-term side effects, right? I mean, all I'm thinking yeah. is, gosh, another one of her children. Like, <laughs> yeah, not only was her story not over with Eli, now it's another yeah. one of her children that um, you could definitely, I think I would be asking why God, 
Yeah, um, there's, but, there's been a lot of that. Yeah, uh-huh. um, but she is doing better. I mean, she's not all the way better, but she's got an incredible team of doctors and they're very attentive and caring for her well. And, you know, she's slowly improving and everybody thinks she'll make a full recovery. It's just one of those things that takes time and patience. And Her story, though, seems to me like another step of your faith journey and story of really solidifying, like, I am a Jesus follower, I am a Christian, and I need people to hear that part of my message now. And so your song, Even When, was just released. Was that a couple months ago? It was released. Just I one think. month ago. Just one month, month ago. And yeah. we'll uh, we'll put the link to that. I remember sharing it with my mom when I first heard it, just mm-hmm. to give her hope and her hurting um, mm-hmm. and knowing she's not alone in it. And uh, Kelly, it's just... I hear your stories, all of these stories, and it's just, it's amazing to me that you can still be so filled with hope and joy. I guess I'm just curious for people that are struggling to hold both and to hold the grief and the hurt, but then also the joy and the hope, because I don't think we're so good at holding them both, but I think maybe we have to learn to do that. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think you just said it really well, Andrea, that, yeah, it's, um, that that's why I think it's so important to realize that we have an enemy and it's not each other. And we have an enemy who wants to deceive you into thinking that you don't have power, um, that you don't have power over your emotions. You do, your emotions are very real, but they don't control you. Um, that you don't have power to choose hope or to choose love or to choose kindness or any of those things. When God created you, He created you in his image and therefore he has already given you power to choose so many of these things. And they don't just happen. They are a choice. Hope is a choice. It is so often something you choose to do. It's an action way before it's an emotion. Um, the same with love, the same with grief. Um, and, and it's not black and white, like, like you were saying, it's, it's so much of these things exist in tandem. And, and that's where I think the enemy would try to deceive us to say, well, if you're sad, then you can't have hope. Or if you're grieving, then you can't have joy. That's somehow being dishonest to your grief or whatever. But the reality is we are really complex. And that's part of what makes life exciting, right? How boring would it be if we were just these singular beings, you know, Um, we're very complex and multifaceted and you are loved with all of that in consideration. Um, There, it it all is part of the beauty of who you are. And um, it's a good thing to celebrate. And so I'm celebrating our Mm. stories and their ups and downs. And your story is full of a lot of really hard downs, but just the joy that you exuberate is shows the highs and the ups that God has given you and that you're finding in him. So tell me what you're doing. I mean to ask every guest this, but I forget half the time, but how are you finding joy right now? What's bringing you joy in your life right now? Well, aside from trying to enjoy our kids um, and our dog and my husband, which I'm very grateful for all (laughs) them. I am Which we've all been doing for the last like two right. years, I feel like. Uh, really, really intense. <laughs> Got that down. <laughs> on that. Um, I'm really enjoying songwriting for a new mm. album. Uh, I've been very intensely focused on that. It's the first album I've done that's sort of a concept album around okay. an idea. The album will be called Orchids from Fire. 
And um, it's, we, we got to tour this wilderness preserve a few years ago and they do these controlled burns here in Florida and mm -hmm. the burns help get rid of the invasive species. It's actually really healthy for the forest to, to thrive and the healing of the forest. The guy giving us this tour there, he was showing us where they'd just done a burn and everything was all black ashes, you know, and it just looked lifeless. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you were to come back in a week or so, the first thing you'd see is all of these wild orchids mm. busting through the ash. There's these purple pops of color against the black ash. And um, he said the nitrogen that the burn puts in the soil is what the orchids need to grow. And so this whole album is really around that concept mm. of orchids from fire. You know, I've written the main song and part of the chorus says, I've been told hope will keep its hold. There can mm. always grow orchids from fire. Fire doesn't claim the end of your story. It's not the end. It's only beginning. Fire doesn't claim the end of your story. It's not the end. It's still being written. Orchids will come from this fire. Mm, that's beautiful, Kelly. Oh, when will this album release? Do you know yet? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay. working as fast as I can, but I don't want to rush the process. And so okay. I'm trying to not pressure myself, but I've written about four or five of the songs. I'm hoping to have 12. Um, okay. I'm thinking no, no pressure, a, probably a year from now. Um, okay. I might release some singles along the way. We'll okay. See. But, but you're finding joy in that process. So just stay, stay in that joy and it, it will release when it does. <laughs> yes. so tell us where you can be found though. We'll, we'll make sure that we link up the thank you project video and some of the links to your um, website and all that, but tell us, tell my listeners where they can find you. Thank you. So I'm very active on Instagram. I really care about creating meaningful posts and my goal is to mm -hmm. make your newsfeed have more hope. So mm -hmm. I'm a hope giver and I really seek to do that on social media. So yeah. you can follow me at Kelly Haddock Music and it's Kelly with an IE. My website is kellyhaddock.com. Again, Kelly yeah. with an IE. Um, and then my music's available wherever you stream. So Spotify, Amazon, Apple, whatever your go-to services, you can find me there at Kelly Haddock. Thank you so much for sharing all of your heart today, Kelly. And you just, you've, you've spoken hope and life to me today. And I know the same for my listeners. So thank you. Well, it's a gift to have the time together. Thank you. My conversation with Kelly was originally set to be shared a couple of weeks ago. But a few days after we recorded, Kelly messaged me about a new, unexpected chapter of her family's story that was suddenly unfolding. Kelly's husband, Ted, was in the ICU after undergoing a life-threatening heart surgery. Kelly suddenly found herself on the verge of being a widow again with hard days ahead. But God showed up for another miracle in Kelly's story. As Kelly told me when her husband was in the ICU, some might say I've had more than my share of hardship, but I feel the opposite. I've had more than my share of experiencing God's healing power and provision. Kelly is a true hope giver, who I encourage you to go follow on Instagram. There you can find more about the current chapter of her family's life that is unfolding and updates to the miracles God is performing as her husband recovers.